Papua New Guinea is experiencing an unprecedented resources boom with a liquefied natural gas project, the largest development. Insight goes to PNG's Highlands to ask what kind of change the resources boom could bring to the local people and who is benefiting. Flying into the Heller region of Papua New Guinea's southern Highlands province, the thick forest canopy below is virtually unbroken by any sort of development. Over Tari in the centre of Heller, all that can be seen out of the plain's window is the odd hamlet with crop gardens and pigs. High valleys, towering peaks, rich biodiversity. It would all be the perfect adventure tourism destination if it wasn't for the Southern Highlands' reputation as a hotbed of tribal fighting. Tribal conflicts are unexpected. Come out any time from especially in the Hela area. You see land, uh, women and pig are the most important assets that we uh, preserve with us in the olden days. I'm Johnny Blades and in this insight I've flown into the highlands to see the engine driving PNG's resources boom, ExxonMobil's $19 billion liquefied natural gas project. But what will the growth and accompanying change mean for these people and their way of life? And will PNG really benefit from the development? The plan of the project is to develop gas fields in the highlands and pump the product through 700 kilometres of pipeline across several provinces to a facility near the capital, Port Moresby. It's hoped exports to Asian markets can begin in 2014. The head of the project is Peter Graham, the managing director of Exxon subsidiary SO Highlands. He says it's a difficult region to work in, not least because of the sheer scale of the project and its workforce. It's a difficult terrain to work in uh, because of the, the physical parameters, I mean rainfall, topography change as it goes from sea level up to several thousand metres, the logistics just getting equipment to very remote sites and of course just relating to the communities in which we operate. Uh, some of the communities have not dealt with industrial activity prior to this point in time so there's quite a learning curve there for them as well. 1,500 metres above sea level, Tari Town is just a scattering of dilapidated buildings around an airstrip. But for a remote town, it's a hive of activity. There's a really uh, keen market for helicopter pilots these days up in the southern highlands. There's flights coming in and out, foreign workers in for the, for the project. It's incredible, that helicopter was in and out within uh, 90 seconds, dropping off the workers and gone again. Americans, Australians, most of the airport engineers are from Lebanon, some I see from Africa, some from Philippines and Americans. This is Isaac Balube, one of hundreds of young men milling around the terminal fence, watching the arriving aircraft, mainly helicopters, dropping off foreign workers, a wave of blue shirts, chinos and cigarettes. To travel to see the project, I've engaged the help of a local guide, John Tamita of the NGO Hella Community Care. Right from the start, John Tamita is clear that he's a victim of the project. My house has been pulled down because they wanted to uh, relocate the construction of the uh, Tari airport and they didn't relocate uh, me. No resident demolish, no payment. Uh, we are all struggling now. We became, our lives became useless. We were okay. We were living on our subsistence gardening. And then we, uh, we don't need cash, but because of this airline project, they introduced cash, everybody's moving with cash, 
and cast sports all our minds and our identity of working in the garden has been lost. The road to the gas project's hub from Tari is a hazardous dirt highway through the jungle and over ridges. It's part of the Highlands Highway, PNG's main road link. Landslides and potholes are common. Numerous trucks have just been abandoned in the roadside mud. PNG's public service doesn't have the resources to maintain the road. When Exxon signed the deal for the PNG venture in 2008, the Prime Minister at the time, Sir Michael Samari, said the agreement would act as a launch pad for the building of infrastructure. He also described the development as the ultimate stimulus for the economy. But while it's still early days, the country's mainly rural-based population is struggling more than ever. A school principal in Tari, Catherine Armitage, says the project has severely disrupted the local economy. They just have moved into the LNG project areas and we are shortage of teachers. The food stuff at the market and the food prices in the stores have gone <coughs> up and teachers have paid very low, so we are having a hard time. And It makes us to give up teaching. We see that the food crops at the market on the roadsides are no more because our, the community is going out there to watch the machines and whatever working, so they don't have bother to work in their gardens. So no, we are shortage of food. So we have had time. We drive through an area recently ravaged by tribal fighting. A couple of men armed with bush knives are blocking the road. They wave our jeep to the side. We pull up and get out. While the driver presents our credentials, another man appears out of the bush and comes over. He's saying that this young guy's come and bend us, church us away. Bend all our houses, they came with guns, weapons. So. We were hard to defend our property, that's what they say. We just ran for life. They come with heavy weapons. We're told to get back in the jeep and leave. There's a steady stream of trucks as we approach Hides, an area of the project's gas wellheads, company bases and treatment facilities. Here is the Nogoli base of project partner Oil Search, PNG's prime oil and gas producer with a 29% share. A liaison officer, Christine Yango, checks me in with security guards and takes us into the base, past the helicopter pad. She's keen for me to talk to people who work with the project, re-educating local people whose homes or gardens have been displaced. I'm introduced to Mary Maima from Chimbu region, who's been teaching local people in the hides and adjoining Como areas about alternative ways of producing food other than traditional crop gardening. They have been growing and as you can see like we have sunshine and rain every day and so there's no need to preserve and they process for home consumption. But now we are trying to introduce some modern technology because of the development coming in and, and so if we can help them to uh, improve their methods of food preparation, especially if they can do that for sale. So when I first came I tried various things I introduced through the training. What is going strong now is women and people are more interested in baking because baking is something new. We've distributed some drum ovens as training centers. And already, some of them are already selling scones and cakes. To get into the base itself involves stringent security checks, but staff security is lacking, according to some of Exxon's employees in the Highlands. One such worker who didn't want his identity disclosed spoke about a recent shootout at the quarry he manages for the project. Next thing you know, there's just guns going off everywhere, sort of like 200 metres away from the quarry. And then about probably 20 minutes into the battle, about 50 guys turned up with machetes and hunks of wood. 
and they confiscated one of our excavators, which they took down the road, and they dug a trench across the road to stop vehicles getting across the road. I was trapped there, and Exxon refused to allow the helicopter to come and rescue us. They said it might get shot out of the sky. We get threats here on a daily basis. People with bush knives, you might get 30 at a time turning up demanding employment. But PNG lacks skilled labour. The only work most Highlanders have any chance of securing is as part of the construction effort. They are less likely to get jobs that will exist as the gas comes on stream. Highlanders are regarded as an entrepreneurial people, happy to take part in the commercialisation of the resources in their land. But teething problems in such endeavours have been common. Claims of human rights abuses and rampant corruption have surfaced in connection with the logging and mining industries. Big mines like Porgera in neighbouring Inga province have been in operation for years and often accompanied by accusations of heavy-handed security. One of the world's top ten producing gold mines, it's owned by the world's largest gold miner, Canada's Barrick Gold. Operations at Porgera have been studied by the New York-based organisation Human Rights Watch. Almost all of the victims of the worst abuses that we documented were illegal miners. People who trespass onto the mine site, go onto the waste dumps and try and eke out a living by finding pieces of rock that the mine has discarded. Incredibly dangerous. The gas project is creating new expectations and confusion. A spokesman for a local NGO, Young Ambassadors for Peace, Moses Komengi, says people have been surprised by the project's impact. Because this is new to you know, our society here. People were not ready and there's no awareness given by government or stakeholders so that people should be prepared. But now see the roads and you know, everything is bulldozing and people are, doesn't know what to do. You know, rich getting richer and uh, those who are poor is getting poorer and uh, you know, they are roaming around here and no work so there's increased problem already. And people are thinking of getting fast money and then, you know, attracting uh, more illegal activities to happen. In this village, people signed up to the project's so-called benefits sharing agreement, a government-backed deal under which the principal landowners get royalties in return for allowing access to their land. Guinea Capiago, whose tribal land and hides is now home to the site of one of the wellheads and a gas conditioning plant, takes the view that the project is helping his people. The government came along, conducted the benefit-sharing agreement talks, and then we signed for it. The agreement, we signed for it because we want to change in our area, better roads, a school, health centre and other services. But Wabira Tali, an elderly chief who has also signed the agreement, does wonder about what the gas project will do to their environment. He's with a mixed mind. What he's saying is um, when the extraction of gas, the result it will have in the end, especially whether it will become a desert or all this greenery will disappear, all our rivers will disappear, I do not want to see those things happening. A series of landowner protests and several work shutdowns both in the highlands and coastal sites have stalled the gas project on numerous occasions since 2009. Recently a series of machete attacks on project workers in and around Como sent fear through the foreign staff. At Tari Airport a bevy of expat project workers wait as the flight back to the capital is delayed almost a whole day. They are anxious to leave. Rob, whose contract in the construction effort has just ended, says a recent machete attack by a local man on a young Filipino worker just days into his contract at Como has scared staff. He says the assailant was upset that the foreigner had a job which a local could have. 
The guy got hit over the head with a machete last week. Another guy got a, a machete shoved through the window of his car. I mean, they keep telling us there's three more Arabs are going to get the chop before Christmas is what they're saying. This is the local boys. And it doesn't matter how many times you bring it up in the meetings about safety on site. It's just totally... Forget about it. It's not worth worrying about, you know. Just get on with your work. After that incident with the boy getting a machete over the head, I reckon that uh, it'll go up a fair bit. There's not, there's nobody out there working out there that isn't looking. Put it like that. It's pretty full on. 6,000 Papua New Guineans are employed by the gas project. And Peter Graham says that for every foreigner manning equipment in the field, there's a national shadow being trained to take up the role. He denies that the project's out of its depth in the highlands regarding security or relations with the people. But the challenge for us is to respond to those, to listen, understand them and then respond promptly to those grievances. There are many, many different clans involved. There are different licence areas, varying expectations. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's inevitable there's going to be some misunderstandings about what's going on and why and, and communications themselves just become absolutely critical. I mean, I think about you know, when we started the workforce in the field, that um, people get their first paycheck and they say, you know, who's this guy tax on my payslip? And you sort of think about that and say, well, who is this guy tax? I mean, you know, and did we explain that to people? The director of PNG's Institute of National Affairs, Paul Barker, says local people are extremely worried about equity and fairness. PNG mines in particular have generated large profits for Australian and American corporations, but little for rural communities, which account for 85% of the country's population. And we've seen large amounts of money coming in from Octedi and, and other mines going into the system and then being dissipated with really very little benefit show on the ground for the local landowners. So they do see the resources being extracted, they do see... Uh, apparent wealth um, flowing in the direction of certain players, but on the ground, in some places, they see a number of problems. Water levels rising in rivers, traditional food gardening land getting swamped, and, uh, and the benefits don't seem to be passing on. Public discontent about the misuse of resource project-generated funds by politicians was the driving force behind the mass government defections, which led to the ousting of the administration of Sir Michael Samari in August. Sir Michael had been Prime Minister for nearly 20 of the 35 years PNG has been independent from Australia. In his last nine-year tenure in office, Sir Michael was in charge as Malaysian loggers took a firm hold in the harvesting of the country's substantial native forests. China increased its presence through major developments such as the Ramu Nickel Mine. The managing director of PNG's investment promotion authority, Ivan Pomaliu, says the country's flourishing investment environment shows little sign of abating. We can feel it. Uh, the, the environment is uh, vibrant. The activities are blooming all over the place. One of the key impetus in the whole uh, scheme of things, obviously, is the, is the major LNG project. That it demonstrated to the investing community internationally that, uh, hey, this is one country that you could take a look at. The state is owner of resources two metres under the ground and collectively with PNG's landowners holds almost 20% equity in the natural gas project. The government also has the somewhat conflicting roles of a regulator and a participant in this landmark project which the Samari government declared a national priority from the outset in 2008. A Hela community worker Joseph Wadai says the project was flawed from the start because the government didn't consult landowners before it signed with Exxon. 
He recalls a honeypot effect caused by the government offering to fly the principal landowners to Kokopo for talks around the benefit-sharing agreement in 2009. Thousands of people responded, and many were making illegitimate claims to land owned by others. So what happened is that uh, some of the street people here, all of them were picked, and people were fighting to get the first ticket. You also get 5,000 kina. So it became another go rush. What did they do up there? Didn't they talk about terms and conditions of, of the agreement? Well, even the Hela people, when it came to signing, the few real landowners that, that were representing the court said, man, we're not going to sign this. Ivan Pomaliu admits ownership issues remain a key challenge for the mining and extraction industries. Determining who the rightful owners of the land are, sometimes that can be subjected to all kinds of disputes. And once those are cleared, it's a simple matter of getting the investments through. We advocate a little bit of patience on the part of developers. Papua New Guinea makeup make is such that they will raise issues, but the bottom line is that they, they will support the investment. They just want to make sure, like anyone else would in anywhere else in the world, they want to make sure that their own uh, benefit streams are clearly defined. Simon Akanda is a landowner from Tuguba in the Highlands. Dissatisfied with the gas project in its current form, Simon Akanda has been a vocal proponent of moves to change the rules about ownership of resources in PNG so that traditional landowners can gain control from the state. He sees his customary law with its emphasis on tribal rights in conflict with the individual-focused Western law and concept of absolute ownership. In our, in our culture, we said the, the tribal only. Uh, really, we are only users. Uh, our culture allows us to use the land because we'll be, I'll be using the land maybe in the next 60 years. It's only for 60 years. So you don't need to give it to anybody. You're only user. You use it, leave it and go. In extreme contrast to the highlands is PNG's tropical north coast. Here, another major resource project. The proposed Pacific Marine Industrial Zone in Medang is coming up against landowner opposition. I'm in the Alex Sharfen area of Medang's port region. This is uh, some of the land and sea which is going to be taken over by the Pacific Marine Industrial Zone. It's, it's land that the Lutheran Church took over when they first uh, hit Papua New Guinea shores back in the late 1800s. They still run schools and uh, some training facilities here. But that's all set to make way for a plan to build up to 10 canneries, as well as fuel depots, container terminals and other facilities for fishing fleets. The marine zone would be the focal point of the Western and Central Pacific fishery, the world's largest tuna resource, in which PNG has a 17% stake. A Medang MP, Sir Arnold Ahmet, says the zone could create 30,000 jobs for locals. And it is based around the Western Pacific Tuna uh, Agreement uh, of the Western Pacific countries who have agreed to bring onshore to Madang their tuna catches in the whole of Western Pacific, all of Nauru, the Kiribati and Tuvalu and all of those countries to be processed here and then uh, exported into the European and the Asian markets as against those catches being taken to Thailand and Taiwan long distances away and uh, returning no benefits to the Pacific nations. This Kananam Lagoon currently hosts Filipino company Adi Tuna's processing plant and wharf facility. On a typical day it can have up to a dozen ocean fishing vessels tied up offloading their catch.
A local landowner, Francis Jim, says RD's operations in Medang have caused serious damage to the mangroves, fish species and other prime sources of food and livelihood. When there are many uh, boats in the lagoon, there is usually a huge amount of oil spillage and all this, and uh, fish species in the lagoon usually die out. Anger about the marine zone is clearly evident among Kananam landowner leaders such as pigeon-speaking James Sungai. It totally destroyed the environment. Future generation to generation to generation, this should be destroyed. Now, 10 more or 12 more Kennedy to come. No development and only destroyed and pack up and move. All our resources. Francis Jim says landowners haven't had a say. I mean, we need our land, we need our water back for our children's future. That is what we need. We don't need money. I mean, we can still meet our basic household needs using the money that we get from fishing. But if the government cannot address all our issues, then our youngsters now are saying that they will take up arms to address these issues. They will take up arms to take back the land and the seawater that have been taken, over, uh, taken from them by the government. Medang is also contending with landowner disputes over the Ramu Nickel Mine, which is owned by the Chinese Metallurgical Group Corporation. About to commence production, the mine operations have been held up by a protracted legal case in which local landowners have challenged the project's planned marine tailings disposal system. The government has been actively supportive of the Chinese group's disposal plan. Rosa Koyan of the NGO Bismarck Ramu Group says the pipeline would dump toxic waste only a couple hundred metres into Bazamuk Bay. She says the marine environment is central to the lives of those on the Rai coast. We're trying to hold up that at least one company tries not to dump in the sea. The way we see it is that the government is, is stuck on, on this one, one plan that is the out of sight, out of mind plan that they put everything in the sea, we forget about everything. It's going to be a big loss for, for the people of Medang, just looking at um, what's going into the sea. Um, a lot of people here, the coastal communities, rely on the sea for their food and also for their incomes. So that, that way of life will be taken from them. She says the Medang landowners are simply trying to assert their rights, which successive governments have denied. It is happening everywhere in Papua New Guinea. Landowners are never party to, to development discussions. And that is why there's a lot of debate, a lot of resistance on, on development coming onto their land because they, don't know, they just don't know what is coming onto their land. Terry Kooning of the Sibiak clan says the tailing system threatens the existence of his and other communities on the Rye Coast. He says he knows how the environmental and social devastation from mining can wreck lives from his experience with the Panguna copper and gold mine in Bougainville. I was in Bougainville and I have experienced what Bougainville copper has done to the local environment at Bougainville. So with that experience I, I could come back home and tell my people, oh, if we let them go ahead dumping all this uh, waste in the sea, I think we uh, our home is just next to the refinery and we will be hard, hard hit. Now the landowner's legal challenge to the pipeline is almost exhausted, Terry Kooning says they are left with few options. Or maybe we, we take you know, physical action, just like what Bogan will have done. That may be the last option. It's not arms, just, you know, just go and maybe bend the thing down, something like that. 
Paul Barker says it's critical that in future government targets the revenue it gets from the project very carefully and avoids the wasteful expenditure of recent years which has caused considerable public concern. The public has basically been hearing about all this great growth and all these benefits that they're going to be accruing and yet at the same time um, people have been seeing some flamboyant expenditure on on executive aircraft and proposed uh, executive public funded executive hospitals, major payouts to private businessmen out of public funds. And yet it's probably the only Pacific Island country that will fail to meet any of the Millennium Development Goals. They've not seen on the ground restorations of their hospitals, health centres. They've not seen, um, in many cases, the roads being stored. So the things that really mean something to the local communities, particularly if they're in more remote parts of the country. As PNG heads into an election year, when Hela Region is set to formally become a new province, there'll be strong debate over how to improve life for the nation's mostly youthful population. A Hela school principal, Simon Koadia, laments the way education has deteriorated as teaching staff get lured by jobs with the gas project and the young lose all interest in school. These companies are sowing money or say, let's say, cash and out, which uh, attracts the attention of the people and they just want to get the money. So that's when they, they forget about what's going to happen in the future. When our young ones grow up and they see that you know, the agreement has been signed illegally, I mean, not in the proper manner. People are still, you know, living poorly like this. The next Bougainville will, will come up in Uganda. Second um, Bougainville in this in the Hela region again. With the Highlanders especially yet to see improvements in basic services such as education and health, pressure for some change to the rules governing resources is likely to grow. The violence seems likely to grow too, according to John Tamita, who speaks of people being attacked with machetes or chopped. Change such doesn't doesn't benefit people, but benefit developers as well as the uh, government. But us, we are victims. As a result of this, I don't know, it may be a disaster coming up. In Como, they've chopped two Asians already. Asians who worked at a, at a new airfield in Como, at the LNG site. Most likely, it's also going to be taking place in this place too. Several people in Hela tell me of beliefs passed down from ancestors about the powerful fire beneath the ground, that it's a spirit which had to be protected Catherine Armitage speaks of a prophecy of danger if the fire in the ground is given away. It was passed on to us that if a man with a white feet come and you give it to him and if he takes it over this mountain, then things will not work well. Like, so like now we're waiting for something bad to happen. The world will end. While PNG might not be facing the end of the world, the most resource-rich island country in the Pacific still appears to have a long way to go in the balancing act between economic development and improving the lives of its people. I'm Johnny Blades, and that's Insight for this week. I wrote and presented this programme, which was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by Daryl Stack. If you have any comments or queries, we'd love to hear from you via email on insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.